Hi, everybody. I'm Marin, and this is my husband, Dallin. We're just two ordinary people who fell in love and had some kids. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about the ups and downs of marriage, parenting, and pretty much anything else. We promise to keep things real and maybe even make you laugh. We also talk to some people who know a lot more than we do. We hope this is a place where you can feel understood, enlightened, and entertained. Thank you for joining both Both of us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Both of Us podcast today. I'm Dallin Dubay. I'm really excited that you're here. I have an interview with someone amazing. Uh, Her name is Dr. Mary Rice. I'm really excited to do this interview today. Um, I'm really interested to know what you guys think about everything that we talk about, because uh, I like to hear from you. (laughs) I really do thrive getting those emails and those comments, so please let me know uh, what you think. Sit back, relax, and let's get started. Okay, so today I am very privileged to have an amazing guest on here. Dr. Mary Rice is an assistant professor of literacy at the University of New Mexico. Mary researches issues of access and equality in digital and online educational settings, which include fully online learning settings where children learn in their own homes and are supervised mainly by parents. Early in her career, Mary was an editing assistant for Marriage and Families magazine sponsored by Brigham Young University School of Family Life. She also taught in public schools for 10 years before becoming a professor. We'd like to welcome Dr. Mary Rice to the show. Hello, Dr. Rice. Hello. So do you like being called doctor or do you prefer being called Mary? Well, it it depends. <laughs> with my with my good friends, so I think I like being Mary and also with the populations that I work with, sometimes it's less intimidating to just have <laughs> sure. them call me Mary. So, but there's also a long history of like of women, especially female doctors just not insisting on having the kind of respect that doctor has attached to it, and sure. so then you know, so we shove that off and say, oh, you don't have to call me doctor. But then, you know, in the name of respect for ourselves, then there's actually a ideological movement that says we should take that up. And so, you know, so I try to be careful, you know, you don't, you don't want to be too full of yourself, but then <laughs> <laughs> you also have to like, you know what, that was a lot of hard work and I earned it. So it, it would be a lot of hard work. Like if I yeah. had gone through that to get my PhD, I think I'd like being called doctor, but mm-hmm. maybe that's because my last name's Drew Bay, and I already get mail to Dr. Ube. All right. Sometimes, so. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a I've sign from the universe <laughs> that you need a PhD. Um, besides being a professor at UNM, you're also married and have one adorable daughter named Hannah, correct? Yes. How was it that you and your husband met? We met in American folklore, English 391. <laughs> so, it. and it was just about, yes, it was just about 17 years ago today. So, it was actually in it was in September and um my husband, who is not, who is a complete and total stranger to me at the time, came walking into class late. <laughs> 
and um, he he was listening to his headphones, and he had his hat on backwards, and you could tell he was a little older than the other the other undergraduate. Mm-hmm. And he wrestled with the desk a little bit so he could get the one with the nice writing space. And we had this wonderful teacher who was about maybe five feet tall, but probably not quite that. Just a very small lady, and she was already teaching the class while he was making this ruckus <laughs> and we the whole class thought he was so disrespectful and so they nominated me to go and tell him he was out of line <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so i said hello i'm mary aldred do you know what time class starts which i thought was a very <laughs> diplomatic thing to made to open yeah. the conversation <laughs> and yes and he gave me a time and i said and i said that is the wrong time <laughs> So the right time is this time. And our teacher is teaching when you come into the class. And so, and he maintains that um, it was because she was, because she was small and quieter and that that was the reason why he didn't notice her. But that's another (laughs) reason, remember, like I just said, how it's important for women who earned those credentials to, (laughs) (laughs) to go out and be a force and acknowledge them because I don't know if she would have asserted herself that way. So we did it for her. And then we, so we straightened out when class was, and then he uh, wanted to know if I wanted to go hang out sometime. And I said, um, well, okay. And we ended up actually going to the homecoming uh-huh. uh, dance. Right. And it was very, very fun. And then he asked me if I wanted to go see a Laker game. So we went and, went and watched. Technically, it was a jazz game because he's a Laker fan. It's a Laker game. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and then it was just like lots and lots of reasons to take up my time. <laughs> we got engaged in February. And um, on it was actually February second, two thousand two. So zero two zero two zero two. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, so we just celebrated our sixteenth anniversary, and it was it's been fun. So I think that when you get married, you don't realize how long you're really going to be married to that person (laughs) and and how much you change as well as they do. And so the commitment to be married to somebody is really a commitment to go through a lot of like unpredictable personality kinds of differences and people change what they want to do. And I've been pretty steady. So when I, um, when we were driving to homecoming, when we were going up to Salt Lake, he asked me about my personal and professional goals. And I told him then that I'm a scholar. I teach, I research, I write, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure how that's going to like fall out in my life, but those are the things that I do. And, um, you know, and he was enthusiastic about that. And now he gets to be married to a professor. <laughs> <laughs> so did you did you guys take a similar direction, or what has he followed mm-hmm. after? With well, his- when I when I met him and we started dating, he told me that he was going to be a lawyer, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, that's great!" And um, but as we as I got to know him better. He wasn't really in any classes <laughs> for law or anything like that. He hadn't he didn't know what school he was gonna attend. So I think he really did have a some earnest interest in law, but he I don't think he had very much of a pathway because what it looked to me like he was doing was he was learning how to be a teacher. Yeah. 
And so, <laughs> and so I said to him, are you sure you, what you actually don't want to do is be a teacher? <laughs> and he said, yes. And um, so he got in a program, in a formal program. He ended up being a special education teacher. And he was brilliant at it. He really, he was good. And when we went off to school to get our PhDs, we had really similar interests. And by the time we got out, they were much more different. We're both educators. We both are doing, we both have graduate degrees in education, but we also have our specialties within well, that's great. So you, the two of you got married, you both entered into the education world. So how far after getting married did you and Brian decide it was time to bring Hannah into the world? Well, we when we got married, or before we got married, it, we talked about how many children we wanted to have, which is a highly recommended conversation. <laughs> <laughs> because when people get married, thinking that they are on the same page about that and then they're not, it's a really huge issue. Yeah. So um, we both grew up in families where there were four children. So I was the second of four and my husband was the oldest of four. Mm -hmm. And there was something in our minds where we thought we'd have four kids. (laughs) So, and we agreed on that. We didn't necessarily think we would have a larger family than that, but we sort of thought we'd have about, four kids sure and um and so we got married and we waited for babies and we had no babies yeah (laughs) (laughs) and actually for uh, infertility is a really big stressor on a marriage and um we didn't want to i had lots of friends that had similar problems and they spent a lot of money like i know somebody who spent like about $80,000 trying to get pregnant and came up with nothing. And so then the financial stress also is a big hack to your marriage. And so, um, and then people worry about whose fault it is Mm -hmm. and all these things. And sometimes that can be hard. There's also just, you know, it just makes you sad. And so um, we decided that we didn't want to, wrapped up in that and so if we weren't going to have babies then we weren't going to have babies and um and I didn't talk about it very much because I also like I didn't want to I was a teacher and I was a highly visible member of the community and and so people I was already on everybody's lips at dinner anyhow sure (laughs) (laughs) and I just didn't want that to be the thing that people were always talking about Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to whatever they else they were going to say about who I was and what I did, right? And so um, I didn't make we didn't make much of a ruckus about it, but we we bought a house and it had four bedrooms, and our families ended up needing it, you know, for different things. Like they would um, come and stay when they uh, after they sold their own house, or um, my sister had a baby and it was premature, and her brother or her husband, my brother-in-law went off to graduate school in Indiana and she stayed with in Utah and um, went back and forth with the baby mm-hmm. was up in the hospital until the baby was ready to go. And so there's always a need. The house was full. We called it the rice motel and um, we just, we were, we're fine. And plus I went to, I went to a place every day where I'm not naive about the fact that, Probably not everybody liked me all that much, but hundreds of kids 
did. Yeah. <laughs> so over my career, I've taught several thousand and hundreds of them, I've, for hundreds of them, I really made a difference in their lives. And for some kids, the most powerful things I did for them, I did for them after I wasn't a teacher anymore. But mm. I got up every day and the first thought that came into my head was, oh, I wonder about so-and-so. Oh, I get to see so-and-so. Oh, I can't wait to get to work. And I was really happy with teaching. Yeah. And so, and I got, and I knew what it meant to be important in kids' lives and I was just, I was okay. Yeah. And um, we had been accumulating baby things mm-hmm. <laughs> for a little while. You know how stuff goes on clearance and you're just like, oh, sure. I want that. And so we had things in our storage area. And one day I just, it wasn't like a big psychological break or anything. I was just like, well, I, I don't think I need that stuff. I was about 30 years old. And mm-hmm. so I just packed it up and I took it and gave it to Goodwill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my husband was sad when I did that, but he was like, why are we, why are we keeping all this stuff? Sure. And I went back to school. I decided I was going to get a master's degree and I went back to school and um, I got invited to a conference and I went down, it was in Phoenix and I went down to Phoenix and did this conference and um, I just, I was having a good time. And then I, in the winter of 2011, so it was like February-ish, I just, I started to feel sick. And I actually thought, I thought something was wrong because I had never just felt so awful before. And I went to the doctor and the doctor told me that I was pregnant. And I said, well, there's no way I'm pregnant. I don't get pregnant. And yeah. <laughs> so the doctor let me listen to my belly and there was that clip clop clip clop you know that heartbeat yeah. and I was like well that could be my heartbeat and he said no this is your heartbeat <laughs> and you know it's that slow thump right right and he just went back and forth between my heartbeat and my baby's heartbeat and I was like I was just shocked it was a good thing I was already sitting down <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is so amazing so what did what was Brian's reaction did you call him up on the phone and I mean, how did that all happen? I told him I was pregnant and he said, well, I thought you were pregnant, but I didn't want to say it because then I didn't want to have to, I didn't want, then I didn't want to have to deal with it. Yeah. Not being the case. Sure. And so we sat on this information. (laughs) We didn't tell anybody. Oh, I Several weeks later, I have, I have a, I have a friend who was supervising me. I was an adjunct faculty member Mm -hmm. at BYU and I, I was went and told my supervisor and um, I said, yeah, I, I went to the doctor. I'm pregnant. I'm not sure. I don't want to tell any, I don't want to say anything because I just, I can't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I'd been married for 10 years at that point. Wow. And so I actually didn't tell, we didn't tell my husband's parents until I was about 20 some weeks along and then I don't think I told my parents until I was closer to 30, mm-hmm. but it was my first baby and she was little on the little side when she was born. She was six, six pounds and three ounces. So she was pretty yeah. small and I didn't show for a while. And so really people didn't know I was pregnant. Um, 
I got pregnant sometime between January and February in 2011, and I delivered her in October, but I people didn't really know until August. Yeah. Huh. So, and I was 31 weeks pregnant on my 31st birthday. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, and then I, and I had her and she, I actually, it was a really good pre- pregnancy. It was very, it was textbook, you know, sure. it just went really smoothly for the most part. And, um, I went into labor really easily and I, um, let's see, I went into labor about, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night on the 25th and then I went into the hospital at two or three in the morning and um I had her around 9 a.m so I was I by the time they told me to push on push her out it only took like 25 minutes (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and my doctor was just real impressed that's very impressive that was smooth that was smooth (laughs) so you know and of course she's just was gorgeous and healthy and she's just cute and brought lots of joy to my life and we were really glad to have her so there's a different feeling in being a family with a child in it versus just being a couple and so and I was just grateful thank you so much for sharing that I know that it's going to be a benefit to the people that listen to this episode yeah yeah sometimes it's kind of it's hard to talk about but you know but I think that um if it helps people feel like they're not alone then that's good because it's actually it would be more common than you think so yeah and I've been able to and I like being like being a mother um, as I work with students in the university landscape but I also I think it's it's helpful when because um, my students lose babies sometimes they have miscarriages or they just yeah. have have their own fertility issues and that's part of what brings them to university sometimes especially the women that's actually something I'm interested in. How has your knowledge of education for children and working with so many of these teens affected your parenting? Well, you know, I think you got to, it actually has helped me take the long view mm-hmm. <laughs> because, because yeah. I'm working with teen, worked with teenagers and I taught for 10 years, specifically working with adolescents and then. I've worked with, um, addition to working with thousands of adolescents, I've worked with thousands of adults, right? Yeah. And I've also seen, lot at this point, or at the point I became a mother, I, I saw enough kids go from 15 to 16 right on up, and so I know they grow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not little forever. Uh-huh. And so I was never caught in that. There was always the sense of her having a life trajectory that she's a baby right now and then she's going to be a little kid and when she's a little kid then these are going to be the kinds of issues that are going to be pressing to her and Mm -hmm. then she's going to be a teenager and she's going to be an adult and one day she'll have to move out and you know and I I think it's helped me be a little bit more relaxed on some things sure because I know I've seen kids grow up and be okay right I've seen Mm -hmm. lots and lots of them grow up and be just fine and so then I don't have to feel like everything that happens is a crisis sure yeah (laughs) (laughs) so because I because I see I see it sometimes with you know that there's a being mom there's lots of stress right about how the kids will turn out right and I've seen enough kids turn out that (laughs) it'll be okay it's gonna be all right you know yeah well I used to tell my 
junior high students. I told them they could be successful because of me. They could be successful in spite of me, mm-hmm. or they could be <laughs> successful just to spite me. Like whatever <laughs> drives them is fine. So, and then I also, especially being a person that's interested in literacy, then I read to her the day that I brought her home from the hospital. I we sat in a rocking chair and read a book, that's and awesome. I read her a book pretty much every day until she was five years old. And now um, she mostly takes over the reading. We went to the library today and she picked out a bunch of books and she has favorite authors and all these things. (laughs) So she could start helping me be in charge of that. But think about the number of minutes of, of book reading, right? Of engagement with text as they accumulate across the years right yeah and so by the time she went to kindergarten she had heard you know a hundred thousand words <laughs> unique words Incredible. right yeah and she had spent a huge amount of time being read to and another thing we really liked is cake videos <laughs> so we watched people make cakes <laughs> and we tried to decide if we could ever make that and that's in that's kind of textual engagement as well sure and you know or we'll watch different um you know different how to do this or how to do that on youtube and we um and remember i'm a digital literacies person and so that i've been able to think about screen time and you know it's not for for a lot of kids you don't want them to spend too much time on like their ipads or on the computer or whatever playing video games and things but uh, most of the differences between kids who are successful at integrating digital technologies and kids that aren't isn't an issue of quantity it's an issue of quality Hmm. So she's not watching people bludgeon each other to death and use swear words and, mm-hmm. you know, she explicit content that's not intended for children and she's not doing a lot of mindless things. Some right. She does have stuff that's in, not especially educative, but... <laughs> You know, that's really more for entertainment value. But even things like Barbie and the Dream House, um, she really likes that. But we've also had to talk about um, sort of the materialism involved and how Ken is kind of dumb. And right. do we really think that about boys? And, you know, so there's all these opportunities for critical literacy that emerge too if you sort of do that alongside your child. And, um, you know, and you just do your best. So it's getting to the point with Bacon that even if they weren't our sponsor, I would be talking about them. Uh, they are awesome. They're go- they're totally breaking into an industry that is very much needed. Realistically, with Bacon, you will never be jobless. Bacon hooks you up with one-time job opportunities for companies in your area, but that's the thing: is most companies need multiple shifts covered on multiple days at repeated times. If you get in early and build up these relationships with these companies, it'll be a huge benefit for future work opportunities. Go sign up now, it really is awesome. We've had a lot of listeners take advantage of the promotion that they're doing with us. It's really cool, all you need to do is go to bacon.work slash both of us and you'll receive an extra five bucks when you work your first job, which is pretty cool. It's just a free $5 hanging around. Uh, again, that website URL is bacon.work slash both of us. 
Now go sign up and bring home the bacon. I think that's an amazing compromise I hadn't thought of before because I think mm-hmm. there's on one end a, a, a I honestly think a grounded fear in thinking there's all this new technology, there's access to anything, literally anything that you want to see or hear you can find on the internet. And so I think there's a side of wanting to restrict any form of technological use or using technology at all. And then there's another end of we're going to let them do their own thing. We've taught them, our kids, to be the best people they can be. We're not going to restrict them and they can figure it out themselves and overuse, right? Mm -hmm. I think what you just mentioned is a great balance, right, between... Those two things, we're going to use this for learning and some of those entertainment, you know, the things they find entertaining, we're going to talk about them together instead of just, you know, letting them kind of do whatever they want on technology. Yeah, and it is a little bit, I would think, I have a professional interest in this as well, and so it doesn't feel like extra effort to me, but if that's not an area of great amusement for you, (laughs) then it might feel like it's a little extra work, but I think that we're not going to get away from digital technologies, and I think that visions about what you consume and what you don't and what you engage with and what you don't online is really going to separate people who are successful in other areas of life from those who are not, and so just deciding that you're either going to have a moratorium on digital engagement or that you're going to be laissez-faire, you know, where kids can just do whatever they want, are both problematic and you've got to hit someplace where they talk about these things, yeah. you know? So, because even like I said, Barbie in the dream house, it's not, it's, it's not the most educative show in the world, but it did, it does open up lots of spaces to talk about different kinds of things that are relevant to kids and do some critical literacy and things like that. And when I hear or see things, um, like she will find certain shows and I'll be like, okay, let's, let's not watch that one anymore. <laughs> yeah. Here's why I think that would be not a good idea. And she'll kind of, sometimes she'll negotiate back with me. Well, what if I, what if when I hear this word, I turn it off, but if there's an episode where they don't, you know, and then, okay, well, let's experiment with that. <laughs> and see if it really was a one-time thing sure. you know and and so you just you're always going back and forth with them about that kind of stuff and gives you lots of things to talk about too mm-hmm. you know because she's not just like this person that I've got to manage but I really like her yeah <laughs> you know I really enjoy talking with her I really enjoy getting spending time with her and getting to know her and um, helping her make the decisions that used to make in order to grow up, be an adult. And so it's not, it's something that would be valuable to me anyway, even if she did not grow in my body and then come out. Yeah. But, you know, she's my, she's a, she's a good person. And <laughs> <laughs> I like seeing that. What do you think um, would be the best thing parents could do to prepare them for educational success? Well, there's a couple of things that I think are really important. Um, First, I think that 
finding opportunities to engage them in some kind of in some kind of literacy at home is really critical. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be flashcards and workbooks. In fact, research has shown that that's really not effective at all. It's not effective in school and it's really not all that effective out of school. So you don't have to do that. Like I never said I sat her down and drilled her on what the alphabet letters were. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we, she just learned them. And, um, you know, barring disability, most kids will be able to learn that in a contextualized way. But making a grocery list is a family literacy activity, and it's not painful at all. Hmm. So, in fact, it's really helpful. And so, um, anyway, so there's those kinds of things where you think about natural ways to have um, good family activities that also will we'll capitalize on literacy from the, like I said, from when they're newborns is really important. I think another thing that's really important for educational success, success that research has shown um, is that you talk to kids constantly about what their plans are. Hmm. So um, like my daughter right now, she has about 11 things she wants to be. So she has, she's going to be a professional athlete. She's going to be a chemist. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be a teacher. She's going to be all kinds of things. And it's not that I have to get her to whittle it down right away, but just to get her thinking yeah. about this. And for her, it's foregone that she is going to go to college and all those things right now. So, um, and that she feels like people can, people actually achieve that, you know? So one yeah. time we were in a sandwich shop and this guy just um, that was in the sandwich shop really liked her and he struck up a conversation with her and he said, make sure that I just want you to make sure that you know that you can do anything you want um, and don't let anybody ever tell you you can't do stuff because you're a girl. And and Hannah looked up at him and she said, I know my mother has a PhD. <laughs> and she was like four years old. Oh, I love that. They think that they can do stuff and that you entertain that for them. And when kids get older, there was, there's been research that says that if you can tell kids that there is a little bit of money for them to go to school, then that's always helpful. So my daughter has a college savings fund and her grandparents started it for her. And she knows that there's that money for her to go to school and that it's going to grow into a, a certain amount and that she can use that for school. I also, I work at a university where she could technically go for free as long as she could get in, you know, like she would have to meet their admission standards, but she knows there's these options. And even if it's apparently, even if it's not very much money, even if it's just, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand dollars, then if you tell kids that it's there from the time they're young, then they plan to go to college <laughs> and they decide what they want to spend their time in college doing. And it doesn't have to be a huge amount, you know, it could yeah. be just a little, but it's the fact that there's something there that signals to them that you intend for them to go to college. So, however, um, not all kids want to go to college and not all career ambitions lend themselves to traditional college education. And that's fine too. Sure. Um, so, but, and to me, there's only two, there's only a couple of things I don't want her to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And most of them involve illegal activities and war profiteering <laughs> and <Sure. laughs> things like that. But other than that, you know, she, 
she can do whatever she wants. And if she doesn't end up getting a PhD or right now she says that that's what she wants to do. But if she doesn't end up, you know, doing any of those things, then I'm fine with that too, because this is about her own body and her own mind making decisions about who she wants to be. Yeah. You sort of show them how to drive their, drive their own life. And, and that was the thing that I, that when I worked with young people that, I learned the most is how you've got to put them in the seat of power as much as possible. Sure. The last thing I wanted to ask you was um, you've done a lot of research and work with enabling parents to educate their children at home. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, you've also worked in the public school system for a very long time. So I think you've got a very unique perspective that I'm interested in, to to hear about what the benefits are to homeschooling versus public school and vice versa. Well, I ha- I'm going to say that I feel like public schools are a really important part of the democracy. Mm-hmm. So, and I know some people don't even like the word democracy because they, you know, they want to sort of split hairs over whether we're really a direct democracy right. or whatever. It's a republic that, that, the or, definition, yeah. mm-hmm. yes, the definition of democracy that I operate out of is that um, people are able to have opportunities and socially advance. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that you can have a society where um, people have brought up opportunities to socially advance unless you have a strong public school system. And I know that teachers and schools are under intense criticism, and some of it is deserved and some of it is not. But I think that if we care about the long-term implications of our country and its existence and all these things, that one of the things we've got to recommit to is being a part of a school community and of caring about how other people's kids get educated. Yeah. So, because I think there's a lot of technology. One of the things that's enabled us to do is to gather resources for ourselves and we don't have to care what happens to other people. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's a problem. Yeah. So, um, so most children I actually think would, um, are, are, would be well-placed in public schools as long as parents are willing to go down really and engage with the school. Mm-hmm. And so if there's something going down at the school that you don't like, then you go down and you participate yeah. at the school. And that doesn't mean that you make a demand and then you get your demand met right away. <laughs> <laughs> so it means that you make a commitment to the long-term community-directed education of the kids that are growing up in the houses around yours yeah, <laughs> or apartments or whatever. Right. So, but I also know that there are families who really do a wonderful job of working with their kids at home. And there are also kids who, for various reasons, um, function better under those circumstances and they find other opportunities to socialize and to do many of the other things that schools do and they do just fine. You know, they get into the colleges they want and they get the educational opportunities that they want, you know. And then, of course, there is a a lot of times with homeschool or um, in online, fully online learning, it's not necessarily considered a a homeschool in the traditional sense, but it can be. 
But what I think is really important, having been a teacher and then having seen this, um, these other contexts, is that um, if you are a parent, then um, assuming a benevolent parent, not all of them are, but most <laughs> yeah. of them are, because there are some parents who honestly don't have their kids' best interests at heart, but yeah. assuming that like the majority, most of them do, you know your kid better than anybody else. And um, But at school, when I, like when I was a teacher, I knew 14-year-olds <laughs> in the <laughs> yep. broad sense better than many parents who had only ever had one 14-year-old or two, right? Uh-huh. Or 10. <laughs> or 10 even, right? So if you have 10 children. Yep. So I'm talking about the broad swath of adolescence. And somewhere between my understandings about children generally at this age, in this school, in this context, in your specific embodied knowledge of your own child, then we should be able to come up with ways for your child to feel comfortable on the landscape mm-hmm. and physically, emotionally, and intellectually and give them opportunities to grow. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so in the end, people have to do what they think they have to do. And the most important thing is that it works for them. So some people, um, you know, do end up trying to do this homeschool or trying to do fully online learning and it's actually greatly overwhelming and uncomfortable for them. Right. And some people like it a lot. And so whatever they have to do in order to, you know, make their space work. Let me give you some really quick, fun questions. What is something simple that you do right now to keep you sane? Oh, (laughs) there's so many wonderful things. Um, you know, I didn't. Wa- I didn't get to watch very much TV when I was in grad school, either my master's or my PhD. Uh-huh. And um, so, I actually I've taken up Netflix watching. Yay! <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> so I just got done with Drop Dead Diva. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it quite a lot. So I am a big fan of Poldark. So I was able to, I have an Amazon Prime too, and it's sort of the thing that I spend my Christmas break doing now, because it comes out it comes out in Britain earlier than that, and then I think they release it in the United States sometime around October, November, but I yeah. save it, and I just binge watch it about as soon as the semester gets done. So I do stuff like that. I go running. I've been running for a lot of years, so I can actually do a half marathon without very much training. Training. Wow. So I can just go and do it. <laughs> and um, let's see. I, I told you I watch cake videos and things like that. <laughs> yep. And sometimes we, we, I try and go and make something that I see on the internet. Uh-huh. So what is something that you and Brian do to stay connected in your marriage? One of the things that my husband and I have always done, I think, really well is that um, we make time to talk about non-household stuff you know Mm -hmm. so we'll we sit and talk about intellectual things and that's one of a great thing about brian actually is i remember dating a guy one time and something happened on the news and i turned to him and i said i gave some kind of analysis Mm -hmm. he turned and he looked at me he was like what like that was his response. <laughs> and, so, and I was trying to engage him and like, well, don't you have an opinion about this? Does this matter to you? It's like, what? And so I think finding somebody that you can connect with intellectually, and if you don't have as much in common professionally as my husband and I do is important. And the other thing that we discovered that we both 
really liked, and we didn't find, find this out until we'd been married for quite a long time, is we really like going to baseball games. Oh, fun. <laughs> And so, and most of the time, yeah, most of the time we bring Hannah, so it's not something we go do alone together, but, but I've been to a lot of baseball games, so I've seen, seen the Giants, and I've seen the Cardinals, and I've, you know, seen the Reds, and like lots of professional games, we went up and watched the Rocky, watched the Rocky game, and all kinds of things, and we don't really watch it on TV, but we'll go to games. And yeah. so, and it's just, it feels like something fun to do. And baseball games are more affordable than a lot of other professional sports. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, cause I, and I know people that their husbands take them on exotic vacations or they'll plan something and surreptitiously. And, mm-hmm. and my husband just doesn't do that. He doesn't like to, he, he doesn't like to spend money and he's not that great of a planner, <laughs> but but he, you know, but he puts in his time into the marriage, and he so, and we just you, we find things to do to be to try and remain a good couple that don't require him to use skills that he's still honing. <laughs> well, I don't want to say he has never have, but you got to take the long view, right? <laughs> yes, you have to take the long view. I love it. <laughs> well, I think. Educators are very underappreciated, and I I always appreciate speaking to you guys. Well, thank you so much for your time. All right. Have a good evening. Hey, you too. Yep. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening. I am so grateful that we had Dr. Mary Rice on this show today. We'll also include a link in the description where you can follow her scholastic work on scholar.google.com. Uh, from previous years and from years to come each time she will release a new paper or article or journal it appears there if you'd like to see more of the research that she's done Uh, i'd love to hear what you guys thought about it i want to know what you think Uh, please send us some emails at both of us podcast at gmail.com also if you haven't yet go and subscribe to the podcast and On your actual podcasting app, you can scroll down and leave uh, a star review as well as a written review. We'll talk to you next week. Have a wonderful day.